So the, the the most important thing this week, I think, is the fact that we got to watch Manchester United play a competitive fixture. Finally. Oh, it was good. It was so good. It's been a long, long three months, hasn't it? Since since the home game against Stoke at the end of the season, which was a massive anticlimax to Newcastle at home on a Monday night. Thank you, Sky. And a, a good win, I thought. A solid, if unspectacular performance. A deserved win. And uh, I guess Paul Scholes stole all the headlines. Brilliant performance. Yeah, you say solid if unspectacular. It had some pretty spectacular elements, I thought. The form of Dimitar Berbatov was uh, quite impressive. And uh, his decision to go for the ridiculously overdramatic scissor kick, which went wrong. Uh, oh, yeah. Yes. On the, the margin of uh, glorious victory and idiotic defeat in these situations is very narrow, and it was good to see Dimitar having the confidence to go for it. But yeah, even I can't give him man of the match. Uh, Paul Scholes was absolutely magnificent. The next day, Zonal Marking posted the uh, chalkboards using the Guardian's chalkboard thing, um, and it just had the successful passes and unsuccessful passes. I think it was 86 successful passes, seven unsuccessful passes the yes. chalkboard was a thing of beauty it was a thing of beauty although it credited his assist for Dimitar Berbatov's opening goal as an unsuccessful pass because the defender actually got a toe on it even better he was even better than that beautiful chalkboard look he, he was yes uh, over 100 passes uh, he, miles more than anyone else on the pitch yeah he, he was brilliant and, uh, of course it didn't start that way Newcastle pressed him in the first 15 minutes really hard and that's what you need to do against Paul Scholes yeah, I think you should stop saying that every week. I because, know. Because, uh, like, you know, Mark Hughes might be listening this week and go, oh, that's what we better do, boy all. Oh, well, uh, Mark Hughes' teams it, it are nothing if not hardworking. So um, I'm, I'm sure Fulham will... Uh, I, I don't actually think Skulls will play, by the way, but um, we can come on to that in a little bit. First, first his brilliant performance. And, and I think you're, all right, you're right to call out Dimitar Berbatov as, as well. I thought he had a really good game. Interesting that he played about 15 yards deeper than Rooney. I, I don't, we've spoken about it so many times. I don't actually think that's his best position. I know... He's got a wonderful touch. He's a very creative player. But I don't think those things are the same thing. Just because he's creative, he actually does his most damage in the box, not playing 20 yards off Rooney. Um, and, and this is something Alex Ferguson spoke about in, in the summer of 2009 and said they, know, they knew they'd made a mistake. We knew we were playing him too deep. We'll play him as a central striker. And he basically hasn't done that ever since unless they play him up top on his own so that's the my only gripe about that and i had a long debate on twitter with someone about that prompted by the incomparable jonathan wilson's piece in there in the guardian this week on uh, on playmakers and what what is a playmaker exactly um and my argument was that you know don't really have one i mean obviously skulls but from the most part of this season he will play very deep uh in the kind of andrea pirlo deep lying playmaker role and we don't actually have anyone who's Who's in the you know the the front third of the pitch doing that? That anyway, I digress. Um, no, I mean it's it's a valid point, and when we talk about transfer speculation, perhaps Van der Vaart would go some way to filling that gap. Maybe, yeah. I mean, it's two plus two, isn't it? E- equals uh, transfer to United. He he's out of Real Madrid. They've already basically said he's not going to be in the twenty-five. They kind of said that to him last season. He, he made a late season comeback when Kakao was injured, but now they've got 
Kaká still injured, but uh, of course they've got Sergio Canales, the the brilliant 18 year old Spaniard who's who's going to be a top top player. He's uh, joined from Rathing Santander, and and of course Mesa Özil, who's who's joined for a paltry 12.4 million from Werder Bremen. Um, and and so Van der Vaart's out, I think. He he doesn't fit into that system. Um, and he'll be about probably about the same, probably about 12 million euros. So. Well, that's a bit less than Ozil, so, you know, maybe eight or nine million pounds. So he is a bargain, about the same price as Wesley Schneider the year before. The question is, can someone pick him up and do to Van der Vaart what Inter did to Schneider and turn him into the, the top class player that everyone thought he'd be when he was, when he was 18? Yeah, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see what happens. But back to the, uh, the Newcastle game. United's finishing was a little profligate. It could have been a lot more than uh, 3-0. There there, there was a lot of, I don't know, a lot of sort of what seemed to be fairly uninformed conversation about Rooney uh, in the in the Twitter sphere and even even some of the punditry you know oh he's desperate for a goal that that sort of thing he's such a long drought and i think a huge amount of fuss is being made over nothing on this he's had a long period of uh struggling with uh fitness and coming back from injury too soon and a long and fairly emotionally debilitating summer, I would imagine. Um, and then uh, he's, he, he, he also took a while to get going last season, and we all know how that turned out. I, am I right in thinking that he didn't score before November last season? Yeah, he had a slow start, yeah, something like that, yeah. It would, I'd have to, to check back on the stats, but yeah, you, you are right on that. He, and then, but he, he has been a player over his career that has scored in bursts. And uh, I'm, yeah. sure, I'm sure it'll come good. Look, look, I had I had a chat to Robbie Savage and Mark Chapman on the BBC after the game. They 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 seem to call me up to do the first United fan on on Radio Five these days. And and I, that's what I said to them. They said, "Are you worried?" I was like, "No, not at all." He's had before before new, the Newcastle game. He had had two halves of football in pre-season, so he's five games behind the rest of the squad for a start. He he had a long time coming back from injury, big summer, poor World Cup, yeah, but clearly he wasn't fit. Um, so I have no worries about Rooney at all. As soon as he's fit and sharp again, and there are no injury concerns, he'll start scoring goals again. Of course he would. He he's he's Wayne Rooney. Do you frequently plug the Rantcast on that Radio Five appearance? I, actually, I, I, actually, I've been very poor at doing plugging. So I did get yeah. a plug in this week, but um, I I will do more plugging. <laughs> Excellent. That's what we like to hear. You know what um, I mean? <laughs> yeah, but it was obviously Newcastle uh, were not much of an opposition after Andy Carroll missed that um, glorious opportunity early on. They never really looked like getting themselves back into the game when they conceded, uh, and it was effectively all over at half time. How do you think they'll do this season? I, I think if they get 17th spot, they'll be ha- happy. Um, they, they've got a thin squad and um, not a whole load of quality there. You, you kind of look at it and go, well, there should be enough to to make sure they're not relegated. But essentially, it's, it's a very similar squad to the one that did get relegated. I mean, eight of those that played against United were in the side that got relegated. Yeah, so, uh, I, I think you're right. I mean, I, I don't know. Looking at them, I think they've certainly got enough about them to like get some decent results at home and beat quite a few of the teams that are kind of there or thereabouts with them down down the bottom end. I think it's a very unfortunate opening fixture for your return to the Premiership, isn't it, away at Old Trafford? Yes, it is. And and they, look, they will pick up points. They, they've got a good game coming up at home to Liverpool, and I'm sure the, 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 the Gallagate will get behind them, and, and they, they could well cause some, some damage there. 
especially with Liverpool having to had, uh, play Europa League on Thursday. The, the one thing I wanted to say about the Monday night football thing, uh, from the television coverage, it sounded like a pretty terrific atmosphere at Old Trafford. It did. I, I mean, I, I wasn't there. Monday night game and all that, impossible to get to. But, well, you know, it was for me on a, on that Monday night. It, there seemed to be a noticeable lack of, you know, green and gold or less. Um, and, that, you know, I... There's reasons for that. There's you know, the, the kind of feeling that maybe that that stage of the protest is burnt out, and something needs to be done. It's more than that now. Uh, it's summer. It's there's a change in the number of people there. I mean, presumably, um, I mean, we know a lot of United fans didn't renew, and they had a lot of new sales. Um, so presumably, the people who didn't renew were the people protesting. And, and and but we'll see how that that um, turns out. I, I mean, I didn't want to go into a long rant about that, but it did seem that there was a terrific atmosphere. Um, Newcastle fans help, of course. They always have a really good travelling support. Although I think their uh, their their praise of Alan Shearer met with the wrong audience uh, at United. <laughs> yeah, and they 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 do love that USA chant. The Newcastle fans. Yeah, it's, are, it's just very tired and boring, and uh, we've been hearing it for what five years. So you know, play another record, guys. Yeah, absolutely. Um, talking of another record, we've got another game coming up this weekend. Uh, we play Fulham away. Last season, Fulham away was the nadir of the season, I would say. It, it was a terrible performance. It, of course, it, it came just after United had spanked Wolfsburg, playing a an exotic three at the back, and tried the same trick. Except in Wolfsburg, uh, we played Evera Carrick and Fletcher as a back three. At Fulham, we played Delate Carrick and Fletcher, um, and Delate fell to pieces, and, and the United defence was awful, truly awful, and, and of course United lost three. Now, which, which is real time because it's always a nice, uh, nice ground to visit, Craven Cottage, you know, by the riverside, tight to the the pitch, good atmosphere, and all that family club. So, um, it's it's one of many Reds' favourite away trips, and and hopefully this time round a much better result. And they've got Mark Hughes at the helm, United old boy. How do you think he's going to have Fulham set up? Well. Well, um, I, I, I was having a chat this week to um, to David, the editor of There's Only One F in Fulham. It's uh, Fulham's leading fanzine who, who told me that um, no one was celebrating when Roy Hodgson got the job either. And uh, and it was an option between Hughes and Sven and, yeah, who do they think they're happiest with? So now I think they're reasonably happy they've got Hughes. He, he produces combative teams. He likes hard workers. That's what he wanted at City. His owners went out and bought Robinho, you know, go figure. Um, so I, I'm sure Fulham will be, they'll be set up the right way. They'll have a good shape. Uh, they'll probably probably play 4-4-2 normally, but, uh, as most of his teams have. But they might revert to a 4-3-3, 4-5-1 against United. United pack the midfield and all of that um, and they'll play you know decent attractive football but essentially it's all based on hard work and pressing and closing down zonal marking and and all of that kind of stuff and that's that's the way Hughes plays they seem to be hanging on to Mark Schwartz by the skin of their teeth yeah I you know you, you kind of figure they they want enough compensation so they can go out and buy a replacement what what good is it to Fulham to to flog a okay he's 37 but he is still a, a top keeper uh, for a couple of million quid, when then they'd probably have to go and pay five times as much to get a keeper of equal quality. So it doesn't make much sense for them to sell him just for the sake of it. Even if he wants to go, he's under contract. So I think they're waiting to get a replacement or for Arsenal to move on to another target. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but he'll certainly be lining up. And uh, of course, we've got some Fulham old boys between the sticks in Edwin van der Sar. 
Uh, he, he always gets a good reception when he goes back to Fulham because it's very strange to think that he spent some of the best years of his career there. He's one of the true get- greats, isn't he, Van der Sar? He really is one of the best goalkeepers of all time and he spent, what, four or five seasons at, at Fulham when they were sort of a comfortable mid-table premiership. So. Yeah, I think he might even have been more seasons than that, right? I mean, he he, he joined at the crest of Alf Hyatt buying and spending money. I mean, remember they spent £11.5 on Steve Marley. So, yeah. Who exactly? There's um, no value in the transfer market. That's the problem. No, no, apparently, yeah, no value. It certainly wasn't for Fulham with Steve Marley. Uh, of course, that, that went on to some uh, some very interesting... Um, that, it's a long, very long story, but yeah, ended up at the Court of Arbitration for Sport, that deal. So that there are more much more modest club these days Fulham they, they, they're they not living within their means they do owe a lot of money it's all to the chairman but uh, their debt to income ratio is significantly worse than United's but they're not really worried about it there isn't a protest because um, as, as the Fulham fan I spoke to this week said what's the point in protesting we're actually quite grateful because they'd been in a much worse situation given their income given the size of the ground the work that needed to be done on the facilities and they spent several seasons away from Craven Cottage because the local residents uh, have been protesting for many years about um, developments to the ground so they're all grateful that he's there and uh, keeping them from being a probably a championship sized club yeah um what's your prediction for the game i, I think that we're gonna line up you you'd think you'd probably play 4-4-2 especially if fulham are going to and i i think we'll win but i think fulham will score i think i'm gonna go with 2-1 well, look, we'll we'll see. It depends what he's thinking is on the um the form of various players at the moment. You 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 might think he'd rest Skulls and play Giggs because Giggs only had sort of 15 minutes and Skulls had a almost a full game um on Monday night. But, but we'll see. We'll see about that. Four four two four five one. That's interesting. I mean. Last season, away from home, he played 4-5-1 in almost every game. Uh, not at Blackburn, where we drew and Berbatov and Machado were awful. Um, but he did at places like Wolves. They played Berbatov up front on his own. So, who knows? It's really hard to pick that one. And Ferguson never picks the same side, of course, so there will be changes, for sure. If I was a betting man, I'd say probably one up front. But Berbatov was so good in midweek that that might have changed his mind. We'll see. We will. And uh, I think also... Like another very good reason for not playing skulls is the point that you made earlier that Mark Hughes' sides are nothing if not combative, and they're always going to put pressure on a, a player that that is vulnerable to having put pressure put on him. And surely you'd think Ferguson would know that. Skulls would play about thirty games. He played thirty-two or well, thirty-two starts and six sub appearances, although none of those were for any particular length of time. Um, so assume he's going to play about thirty games again this season you'd bet on two-thirds of those being at home and probably in the most important games where he thinks the experience is needed. Yeah, so uh, I think it's a pretty good shout that he's not going to play on Sunday. But uh, but I, uh, what do you think the score will be? I, I think it will be a narrow win for United, so something like 2-1. Oh, OK, so we're both going for 2-1. All right, I'm going to go for 3-1 just for a bit of variety and uh, for a complete lack of variety, I'm going to predict that Berbatov will score. So so that's the, the games. Um, I... I we said at the top of the program we'd do a bit of transfer speculation it's not something we engage in on rant very often because it's no not at all it's speculation isn't it but um two two deals to to note this week that uh you know may or may not happen obviously Mesut Ozil went to Real Madrid from Werder Bremen 
for 15 million euros and I think in the current transfer market that might be deemed as value and the large debate raging on the internet whether United are actually interested or not. Now Ferguson's interesting, been watching the player for at least two years, uh, did go to Fulham, there was apparently according to Guardian journalist David, Daniel Taylor um, a conversation between Ferguson and the Werder Bremen directors um, and then Ozil made his choice and it, it's not unsurprising I suppose that he, he chose Real Madrid in the end because if they're interested a lot of players do pick him especially the southern European players him being of Turkish background and all that um, having said that I'm pretty sure I'm pretty certain and I'm fact checking this one uh, with the appropriate people but I'm pretty sure United made no bid and I don't think they were ever going to unless it was like 10 or 12 million euros and he'd decided he was going to do it they certainly weren't going to get into an auction uh, with Real Madrid because they knew they couldn't win because Madrid would have paid way more than 15 million euros and I don't think the club were comfortable with the players wages he's on in UK equivalent terms about a hundred thousand pounds a week the real the real tragedy of this situation is that we're not going to have to learn to pronounce Ozil properly because no. uh, pronounced properly it's a beautiful thing it is, and, um, and then, and then, of course, the other one, uh, the knock-on effect from that is, is Raphael van der Vaart. That, um, uh, is who, he coming? He, well, he's surplus to requirements. He is cheap. My guess would be around the 12 million euro mark that Wesley Schneider went to Inter for. So, you know, eight or nine million pounds is, is a bargain. It's about in the Glazer ballpark that they're prepared to pay. On the other hand, he's not a kid, so uh, give him a four or five year contract, there's not going to be a lot of resale value there, um, so that's a negative side. Is he top draw? Is he, um, in Ferguson's words at the press conference last week, uh, going to take United on a quantum leap um, of quality? I, you know, I have my doubts about that, so I don't think, I, if it was me spending the money, and clearly it's not, um, I, I don't think he's the right player. Is he a player that's at the right time? Then maybe yes, because I, I still do think there's a hole there in the United squad. Wouldn't always want to play with two playmakers, you know, Skulls plus one other. Might want to play just with the one other or just the Skulls. But there's still the gap there, even if Tom Cleverley comes good. Thoughts? Well, I, I think that it's not a lot more than they spent on Bebe, and that's really weird. That whole situation just get, seems to get stranger and stranger and stranger. There's been a lot of talk rumour and speculation that he's not been particularly impressive in training so far but I mean what does that mean I, I haven't seen him I, I don't quite know where that's coming from but we've just spent an astronomical amount of money on a player that Ferguson has never seen play it, it, and so surely Raphael van der Vaart for slightly more money would have been a better decision than than taking such an expensive punt on some raw talent because as you say there there is a hole in that position and, and we could probably do with someone to fill it yes well we could um i think one of the other important things to say is when is the, when is the last time united uh, actually paid money for an experienced player yeah that that's a really good question probably the last time is dimitar berbatov yeah and i think so and i think um that as although that was under the glazer regime they rolled up that one um so yeah into the interest so i i i'm not sure that um i'm not sure that ferguson has the green light to spend money on experienced players with no resale value i'm i'm you know, I, I'm almost certain not. Maybe if you, they're so cheap, you know, Alan Michael Owen, you know, maybe. But um, so I, I, yeah, on the balance of all the probabilities, I think this one probably won't happen. If you if United didn't bid for Özil at all, why do you think that is? Do you think that is just because 
they knew that all they would be doing i mean it, the kind of meta game of it right if you if if all we're going to be doing is driving up the price that real madrid pay for van der Va- for Ozil, all we then do is essentially put pressure on the transfer market as a whole and raise the general price of footballers you well, know if we didn't think we had much chance of getting him maybe i actually i think Ozil's a special case cuz he's only got the one year left uh, okay so look the 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 red tinted view would be that Ozil always wanted to go to Real Madrid, so we wanted him. We would have paid the money, but uh, you know it was uh, noted that he wanted to go to Real Madrid, so we didn't bother, right? I think the more nuanced view of this is that Ozil always kept his options open, always. I mean, he's said publicly, "I'm a big fan of Barcelona. I, I've supported them since a child. I'd love to go to England." Chelsea and Manchester United are the two premier clubs that I would like to join. Uh, Real Madrid has always been the destination for me. So th- this guy kept his options open. There were <laughs> there were five interested parties. Real Madrid, Barcelona, United, Arsenal and Chelsea. All of them would have paid money. But uh, some of them, Arsenal and United, were not prepared to get into an auction. Barcelona, he was a secondary choice. They actually want Cesar Fabregas and their second choices for a, a, a defensive midfielder to replace Yaraya Torre. And then that left uh, Chelsea, United, Real Madrid. Chelsea was certainly interested, but I think they're focused on Neymar, the Brazilian at the moment. Um, and United, the most desperate need of all of them, and then Real Madrid, who of course just wanted him because they—that's the way they play it. And yeah. I think United would have paid in the you know 12 to 15 million euro range on reasonable wages for someone who's 21 years old. They weren't interested in entering an auction either on the fee, which is what would have happened. Madrid would have gone way beyond 20 million euros if they had to, for sure, or on the wages. And I don't think United would have paid the 4.7 million net or whatever he's he's getting euros net i think it works out it's just over a hundred thousand pounds a week i'm pretty sure so that's a more nuanced view of that uh, and i th- i think that is i'm pretty sure that's true from the the people i've spoken to about it but anyway so it, it's not happened and i i for one think it's a shame but you know life goes on but of course it, it lends us to thinking a little bit about the finances of united and the, the one story this week on glazers and let's not bang on about it too much but as expected and as reported in rant in February and again last month, uh, the interest rate on their payment in kind loan, that's the short-term bridging debt that they took out in 2005, it's normally a way of reducing the amount of cash involved in an acquisition. Um, and normally you'd pay it down as quickly as possible, they just haven't, so the interest rate on that has gone from 14.25% to 16.25%. That's about £5 million to the bill per year. Uh, last reported figures, it was £202 million. It will, it will be £269 and a bit million this year and £310-odd million next year. And you know, going up to about £600 million by 2017 when they're supposed to redeem it, unless they pay it down. And, of course, this is where all the process came from because the bond was taken out. With one specific thing in mind, giving United more flexibility over their cash and paying down this pick debt. That's the only reason. Nothing else. Now, to speak um, on behalf of all the people to whom that just sounded like, you know, the teachers in Charlie Brown cartoons talking, is is the pick loan on United's books or the Glazers' books? No, it's on the Glazers' books. They are responsible for it, and this is what David Gill keeps saying, that the issue of responsibility is a legal one, though. 
The, yeah. the the real issue is who's paying for it, and there is only one fund. Then they are not allowed under NFL rules to cross subsidize. So no money is coming from the the bucks. Not that they would. They're also in debt um, and failing to sell out their games. Hence a TV blackout this week. And the, so the only other source is their personal income, which is from their property empire. And of course, Anders Red, Andy Green has shown that more than fifty percent of their empire is failing and going into liquidation. They made nine point seven million dollars. So what six million pounds profit? on that last year so they have no flexibility for this they have no room for paying this this pick debt down other than the United Funds and of course they're perfectly legally allowed to that's never been the argument they are legally allowed to do this they own the club do whatever they like with it uh, the, the the issue for United fans is whether you're happy to support that process or not you did say we're not going to bang on about it and we're not going to bang on about it but it is worth making sure it stays in the forefront of the consciousness because as you said the green and gold thing has kind of definitely died down and it's understandable because that that was a kind of moment in time protest but it is important to keep the sort of awareness levels high. I yeah, think. well, the, the, it is, but the, the season ticket renewals marked a watershed. So anyone who renewed their season ticket um, basically said, I am happy with that situation. Mm. And you see, this, the Glazers have, and there's a great editorial in Red Issue this month about this, the, the Glazers have relied on fandom, and this, this love is blind is the editorial headline, and, and it's very true, in this, in this case, United fans, and, and I've had this argument with so many people on Twitter or on the blog, support of the club doesn't mean support of the club's policies, yeah, I, I don't believe being a fan means that Everything Ferguson does and everything the management does is right. It's not. It's not. You know, um, United are compared in the editorial to a battered wife, United fans, to a battered wife who keep coming back and going, but he loves me really. It's a, it's such a complicated issue because ultimately football fandom is a completely bizarre and irrational facet of human existence because what do you support? Who do you support? I mean, do you... Do you support a ground or a name? If, if you live in America and you support the Baltimore Colts, their owner one day can pick them up and move them to Indianapolis. And now you can either support the Indianapolis Colts or wait and then eventually support the Baltimore Ravens, who used to be the Cleveland Browns, who are now Aston Villa. You know, it, if so there, what are you supporting? You're not supporting uh, – a, if you're a Manchester United fan, I mean – a lot of Manchester United fans are people for whom it's their local historic club. Others, it's their family's historic club. Others, it's the club they grew up supporting when they were a kid because it was their best mate's family's club. You know, it's it's a, some some absolutely passionate United fans live in Indonesia. You know, it's it's just being part of a tribe essentially. It's, yeah. it's identification, and and so there's no financial realism in being part of a tribe. It's just just the tribe you're from if like it, this is not going to happen but if i was to tomorrow say right i'm not a manchester united fan anymore everyone would think that was a completely and utterly bizarre action you know because it but yeah the, the the whole world of football fandom is profoundly irrational and the battered wife analogy doesn't hold quite accurate well obviously it's a i mean i don't think they would claim it was a direct one-to-one analogy because i don't think there are too many united fans who think that the owners of manchester united 
love them, but I don't think they thought that before when it was Manchester United PLC and a bunch of random city investors and Irish billionaires and, you know, millionaires and all these kind of people owned the club. So I don't think anyone thought that the, they were being run with the fans' best interests at heart. No, 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 that, that is very true. I, I, think, I think the difference now is that ephemeral concept of being a fan support and being a customer that pays money are two separate things and people find that very 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 difficult to separate and 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 as a result they sometimes can't work out what the best thing for their club is and the best thing for the club is probably and it's very hard and and uh, you know i'm a hypocrite insofar as i'm going to the west ham game so i'll be there and having paid money to do it and you know again many times this season probably but the best thing is to starve the club of cash completely so the glazers just go because you cannot support this business model people think that somehow they can support the business model you can't that bond debt is not being paid down it won't ever be paid down the pick debt will be out of united funds so over the next five years there'll be no transfer funds or very little and people keep saying, oh, we spent loads of money this summer. No, no, we spent 10 million net. So where's the other 15 million that we were promised as part of the Glazers business plan in 2005? Plus all the money that's still left over from Ronaldo. Um, not there. So I, I think there's a lot of very confused fans here who, who are not, you know, thinking very rationally about what is actually going on at this club. Um, and but you know I keep having this argument with people and and there are a lot of people who just don't get it who resort to name calling as a result and it's a it's a bit frustrating but you know there you go anyway we've banged on about the Glazers when we <laughs> said we wouldn't <laughs> well only you said we wouldn't in fairness um so uh, Ricardo Postbon's gone that's a, a kid that didn't come good yeah I feel, I feel sorry for the lad actually I mean he he looked great in the reserves very composed on the ball just you know lovely typical Brazilian touch I suppose and kind of defensive midfielder water carrier type person and then then you know made it into the fringe of the first team had the Carling Cup game obviously got injured uh, with uh, Emmanuel Pogatetsi's you know red card challenge on him uh, the, the Middlesbrough defender he was injured for a while I mean it wasn't a broken leg or anything like that but he never really made it back into the into the side um got sent out on loan to Braga which is a strange one barely ever played then came back um and was in the reserve team squad this season played a, a few reserve team friendlies uh, but wasn't called on to the squad for the US and I think once that happened it was pretty certain he was going to be leaving and he's been allowed to go on a free and he's joined Santos in Brazil He's one of those, um, you know, players that you send off with the very best wishes and hope they have a fantastic career, like uh, Joe Red, yes, Giuseppe Rossi, and and Diego Forlan, and yeah. Let, let's let's hope the lad does well. Of course, um, it'll be interesting. He's, I mean, he's not he's not declared for the national teams yet, but he he has played for Italy under twenty one. He decided to declare himself for Italy, um, being in Europe, and now he's gone back to Brazil. He might want to undeclare himself if he ever comes good but yeah fortunately he didn't play for the Italy full national side so he's not um, under FIFA rules he's not uh, fixed so if he wants to reconfirm his Brazilianness, then he can of course one other Brazilian um, coming back as one leaves is Anderson uh, you know uh, cruciate knee injury in uh, left anterior cruciate I think he snapped against West Ham in February after a month or so on the sidelines having 
gone AWOL back to Brazil, tried to engineer himself a way out of Old Trafford and some pretty poor performances before that. And in his comeback, he got injured, but now he's he's gone through the re- rehabilitation process, worked hard at Carrington and in the bars of Portugal, unfortunately, crashed a few cars in the process. And he's back in full training, and uh, he should be in the first-team squad very shortly. And if he comes good, then all our conversations about us lacking a midfield playmaker attacking midfielder will look a bit silly because uh, Anderson definitely has the potential to be one of the best but as we've said before the, the, his mentality does not seem to be right looking from a distance and how, how much you can draw from media reports and all that sort of thing and the general buzz around the player but that, that certainly seems to be the case but you know we thought that about some other players in the past who have indeed come good and of course it, it, I definitely don't think all hopes lost on the Anderson front, and that, and that would be fantastic if he if he can get it together because you know that could he could be the reason why Ferguson doesn't want to spend a lot of money on on the attacking midfielder. Maybe he, he, Ferguson rates him. Of course, Ferguson does rate him, and he has put in some very good performances. But he's never been played in that kind of freer role that he played as a as a 17 year old for the for the Brazilian under 17 side, which won the the FIFA under 17 World Cup a few years ago. So and. Tim Vickery, um, the WC South America expert, you know, kind of claims that there was shock and surprise in Brazil that um, Ferguson was playing as a central midfielder because his natural position was as the media, you know, the the, the number 10, the creative player. And, and I think we have never seen that. I don't think he's ever played a game where he's played that role at Old Trafford. I just don't think, you know, w- what we're talking about there is Ferguson playing him as the number 10 floating behind Rooney. You know, yeah. Like, he's never played that role. I don't think he really played that role in Porto either. He came to Europe and he played a European style of football and European style of football is sometimes with the playmaker, but I don't think he was given that kind of free role. And I don't think he ever will be at United. I think what we're talking about is a player who's got Bags of energy, nice touch on the ball, good range of passing skills, and he's a he's a box to box central midfielder in your English tradition. Can he make it as that? Because I don't think he's going to be given the the kind of playmaker number ten role ever, despite what people on Twitter might say. Um, you know, he can do. Yeah, this is you know, as I said in the in the piece this week, an institutional memory. Yes, he he probably can because he did it. You know, four years ago, but. Realistically, don't think it's going to happen. But good luck to the lad. And talking of good luck to the lad, good luck to the lads on Sunday because whatever the uh, psychological and sociological and socio-economic political reasons there are for supporting Manchester United, it's what we do. And uh, certainly, whether or not you want to see the club starved of cash, it's very difficult to wish the team anything but phenomenal success and uh, that's that's certainly my position so I, I i think we're going to beat fulham i think it'll be uh, an entertaining game and i think i think uh, dimitar berbatov's going to score a goal because he's going to get 25 this season and it's, i'm really gutted he didn't get at least two against newcastle because I, I think i think it was on the cards and i've got a little wall chart with 25 written on it and i've deleted two from it because I'm counting the community shield good, so he good. only needs 20, 23 more this season well you know what he will be on you know have 22 more on the last day of the season with an open goal and he just needs to roll it in he'll try a scissor kick back heel flick <laughs> double pike and it'll yeah, go flying yeah he will no, no, he will, but it will go in because that's what Dimitar Berbatov can do. And we've got a very special end to the show this week. Um, our number one fan, well, I don't know if he's our number one fan really, but the 
he always posts appreciative comments and there's nothing I love more than appreciative comments. Uh, the Indefatigable on United Run and at Awate on A-W-A-T-E 91. on Twitter. Is it Atawata? Oh yeah, Atawata91. He's a phenomenally gifted rapper. Who knew? Who knew we had extraordinarily talented listeners? Um, turns out we do. And, uh, this is his track, Phoenix, uh, that we're gonna play out the show with. Salutations, welcome to my imagination When the sky is falling, I go here cause it is no raining They say it sold out just cause I told the world about My story just through word of mouth Well to be honest you must not have heard about The blood, the sweat and the tears Begging for a chance and a deal Ripping open mics for years I put the work in and it wasn't working I felt my soul was hurting I was tired of lurking I need to be heard, forget the money and the fame I don't need the girls I've got a message to deliver, ring ring The man in the mirror hear me sing Sing Parliament float so high I meet my guardian
Stay